0: Wow, what an ending. Who thought Darth Vader was Luke Skywalker's father? Ah, thank, thank you. you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Blow the picture for me. My- eye is power. It's an energy field created by all living things It surrounds us, penetrates us, binds the galaxy together. The The Force. The Force. The Force. The Force. Hey, everybody. Welcome to The Force, of course. I'm your host, Ted, and I desperately need to shave. I mean, it's really bad. It's itchy. We've got a big show for you today, so without any further ado, let's jump right into the Force of Course Star Wars News of the Week. Zack Snyder, the man behind the Snyder Cut of the Justice League, you know, is retooling his Star Wars project script to turn it into an original film for Netflix. Back in 2013, Snyder had a Seven Samurai-inspired Star Wars movie pitched at Lucasfilm. Now that movie is being reworked to be a standalone sci-fi flick, rumored to be titled Rebel Moon. I'm interested to see this for a couple of reasons. First, Snyder's just kind of an interesting dude to me, and I want to see what he does here. Second, I want to see how relatable this is to Star Wars. Once it's out, I want to be able to see it and see if there's anything I can pick out that, oh yeah, I could see that happening in Star Wars. You know what I mean? I just want to see what's going on. Harrison Ford turned 79 this week and is still recovering from his shoulder injury from filming Indy 5. We wish him all the best and a speedy recovery. Emmy nominations are in and The Mandalorian landed a whopping 24 noms. Categories include Outstanding Drama Series, Directing, Writing, Cinematography, Costumes, Makeup, Music sound editing, and special visual effects, just to name a few. That's more than a few. That's a bunch. Just to name a bunch. Last year, The Mandalorian received 15 nominations and took home seven. So we'll see what happens this year. Honestly, it's just great to see that this show is being recognized by the industry. I mean, we as fans, we know it's awesome. It's about time everyone else came around as well. In Book of Boba Fett news, Tamara Morrison, the man behind the mask of Boba, revealed some info about the upcoming series in an interview including a list of directors attached to the project. Now, I, I don't know why, but I assumed that it was just the Rod- Robert Rodriguez show. I didn't know there were other directors, but shows you what I know. The list includes Dave Filoni, Robert Rodriguez, obviously, Jon Favreau, and Bryce Dallas Howard. These folks all had a hand in The Mandalorian and have proven their ability to to tell compelling Star Wars stories, so I'm still pumped to see it. This doesn't deter me one bit. Morrison also let slip that the series will dig into the relationship between Boba Fett and Fennec Shand, played by Mignon Wynn. Wen, and as excited as I am to see this, sadly we still have to wait until December. Patty Jenkins confirmed to the Associated Press that her next project will in fact be Rogue Squadron. She signed on for the third installment of Wonder Woman, as well as the Cleopatra project that's been rumored for I don't know how long, but Star Wars Rogue Squadron is the focus now. Now, this is rumored to be set in the sequel trilogy era. Personally, I'd rather see the original trilogy era, but that's just old man Ted wanting more of his Star Wars. To be honest, most of the projects we're seeing or have been promised will take place in or around the original trilogy era, aside from... Uh, the High Republic, and I guess Acolyte, so maybe it's fitting that this project takes place in the sequel trilogy era. I don't know. But the name Rogue Squadron harkens back to the book series and the comics that followed the adventures of Wedge Antilles and his group. They followed up the events of the Return of the Jedi. Um, Rogue Squadron basically mopped up the remaining Imperial holdouts. That's what I was hoping we'd get. Again, we'll just have to wait for confirmation one way or the other. Finally, Disney Plus series Star Wars Visions, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago, is making news again. One of the tales told in the anime-inspired series is titled The Duel. This particular episode has already sparked a novel continuing the story of its titular character. Ronin is a former Sith turned wandering samurai with no name. And as soon as I say that, I've got this mental image of old man Clint Eastwood as a wandering Sith and he looks angry and confused, and I cannot shake this visual. Anyway, accompanied by his trusty droid and lightsaber at his side, Ronan's story continues in the book written by Emma Mieko Kandon. It's available for pre-order now and releases officially on October 12th. That does it for this week's installment of the Force of Course News of the Week. Okay, who's ready to talk Bad Batch? Well, tough. We're doing it anyway. Bad Batch, episode 12, Rescue on Ryloth. Now, the first note I have to cover is that I was wrong about last episode. I reported to you guys that Hera was arrested at the end of the last episode, and she wasn't. Her family was. Not sure how I missed that, other than to say I wasn't really into the episode. My bad. But her family was indeed arrested, and she contacts the Bad Batch crew... Omega specifically, to help rescue her captive parents. Hunter reluctantly agrees to check out the situation, and after a passing glance at what's going on, he says there's nothing they can do. The situation's just too hot, and there isn't a way to rescue them. Then Omega and Hera come up with a viable plan all on their own, and Hunter agrees to take on the mission. So, I know they set up the fact that Omega is like a brilliant tactician, but are we to believe that Omega is a better tactician than these hardened troops? Not sure how I feel about that. Notable moments for this episode. Omega is earning her spot on this team. Harris family is freed, and Champ Syndulla is going to become a threat to the Empire, much like Saul Guerrera. We actually get to see him in action in Rebels. Rampart admits that he underestimated the Bad Batch. And finally, Crosshair is given permission to hunt his former team down. Rampart kind of lets him off the leash, so to speak. Which leads me up to what I hope to see from the remaining four episodes of the show. Yeah, we only have four episodes to go. I'm hopeful that Crosshair hunts them relentlessly, that he's just dogging them the rest of this season. Now, ultimately, I'd like to see his inhibitor chip dealt with, and he rejoins the Bad Batch somehow, but I don't want that to be rushed. I think that's a long play and not something... That can be done in just four episodes, especially since we also still have the Kaminoans to deal with. Like, their bullshit ordeal, we're not done with that, and I think that's what we'll probably see in the next episode. The continuation of Lama Sue and Nalase and whatever the hell it is that's going on between them. I'd also really like to see more bounty hunter action. I don't think we're done with Cad Bane and Fennec Shand, and I hope they introduce even more bounty hunters. Boba Fett, anyone? Anyway, we're just going to have to wait and see, but I'm thinking the show's probably going to run at breakneck speed moving forward in these last four episodes. All right, let's jump into the next installment of the thrilling series, What's Up With That Guy? Or in this particular instance... Ooh, that was good. I may have to keep some of that music going behind me. Yes, our focus today is on a female from the Star Wars saga. See, a couple of days ago, a friend of mine, Travis, texted me a picture of Jocasta New with the caption that read, Has anyone ever thought about how dumb this woman must have felt when Camino became a Republic stronghold after she told Obi-Wan that it didn't exist? <laughs> that, that's pretty good stuff. Travis suggested that this would make for a, a pretty good subject for the series. So let's dig in. Jocasta New. More like Jocasta old, am I right? No, don't do that. A native of the planet Coruscant, Jocasta was a Jedi researcher who specialized in archeology. span A former member of the Jedi Council, Jocasta was appointed the role of Chief Jedi Librarian and Historian. It's in this very role where we meet her. In Attack of the Clones, Obi-Wan is on the hunt. His old buddy Dex told him his goal was Kamino, so Obi-Wan goes to the Jedi archives to see exactly where this planet is. Kamino doesn't show up on any of the Jedi records, so Obi-Wan goes to the Chief Librarian for help. Jocasta basically blows him off and says if it doesn't show up in their records, then it doesn't exist. Then she gets this smug look on her face and waddles away like she's got a stick up her ass. So the question is this. Did she lie to Obi-Wan or was she just bad at her job? I can tell you that she wasn't a part of any elaborate plan to cover up the cloning facility. So yeah, she was bad at her job. She had too much confidence in the Jedi archives. I mean, come on, no system is infallible. So she should have at least been like, hmm, I don't know, man. Let me look into this. Is that so hard? We also see Jocasta in the Clone Wars. Ahsoka is assigned to her as punishment for disobeying Anakin. Eh. Not the best episode in the world, but we did see her. It's actually in comic form where we see the end of Jocasta's story. And I personally believe her actions here more than make up for her being such a bitch to Obi-Wan. After Order 66, Jocasta goes into hiding. She then takes it upon herself to try and preserve as much of the info in the Jedi archives as possible. She would sneak into the temple library and snatch as much as she could and then squirrel it away in secret locations. One of the most important pieces of information she was trying to preserve and protect was a list of Force-sensitive children and their locations. On one of these missions, she's confronted by Lord Vader. Now, she holds her own against Vader longer than those damn rebels in that hallway from Rogue One do, but eventually he corners her. Jocasta tries to commit suicide to protect the youngling information, but Vader stops her. So, Vader takes Jocasta captive, and he's going to present her to the Emperor. And the Emperor is going to get that information, you better believe it. Surrounded by clone troopers on a transport ship, Jocasta reveals to the troops that Darth Vader is, in fact, the Jedi Anakin Skywalker. The clone troopers were still on that Order 66 shit, and they turned on Vader. Bad idea. Vader blows them all out of the transport. Uh, He decides then that Jocasta is probably just too powerful to let her live. And he does what he does best. And that is the story of Jocasta New. Now, let's take a break. And when we come back, we're going to discuss spoilers. Stay tuned. It's the new Star Wars Landspeeder. Wow, looks like it's floating. The sand people are coming. It's up to Luke's and his land speeder to get us out action figures each sold separately the land speeder has a snap open space hatch and star wars action figures r2d2 and c3po fit right in back hurry they're dancing activate spring glide wheels the force goes with us yeah kenner's new star wars land speeder action figures each sold separately all right welcome back i hope you enjoyed the break i know i did I still haven't shaved but I did reapply my deodorant. So there's that. The main topic for today's show comes from a personal story that I hinted at in an earlier episode. And I'll tell that story in due time. What I want to talk about today though is spoilers and their effect on us as fans. And in writing this episode I can't even move forward with describing the history of spoilers without messing up the premise for this segment So what I want to do right now is just run down the top 5 spoilerific moments in Star Wars. It has to be noted that these are my personal picks and rankings, so you may or may not agree. And if that's the case, I'd love to hear your list and where we agree or disagree. Now, without any further delay, let's go through my top five spoilable moments in Star Wars. Number five, Yoda versus Dooku in Attack of the Clones, or more importantly, Yoda with a lightsaber. For me personally, this moment was spoiled by the novel because during the prequel era, they were releasing the novels like a week before the films. Now, I have no idea why they did that. Obviously, there were differences between the movies and the books, but all the major points remain the same. So anything potentially spoilery were very clearly already out there before the movie hit the screens. And we all know I have zero self-control, so obviously I read the books on day one. I knew what was coming, However, my buddy Bill was trying to stay absolutely spoiler-free before he saw any of the prequel movies. And we went to the midnight releases of each film. So with the build-up to each film, he had shut himself off from as much as possible. The internet wasn't really a thing back then. It was, but it wasn't huge. So he didn't have to worry about that. But Bill wouldn't even watch the trailers. He didn't want to know anything about what he was going to see on the big screen. With Phantom Menace, I believe he was able to stay spoiler free. Like, completely. Not that Episode 1 really had anything to spoil plot wise, but when Episode 2 came out, the theater did something weird and released tickets before the midnight showing on the actual release date. So our midnight tickets suddenly weren't going to be the first possible viewing opportunity. I personally felt betrayed. So the wife and I are in line with my buddy Bill and another buddy Brad, and we're patiently waiting for our chance to get seated and start the fun. The theater from the earlier viewing lets out, and a guy I worked with in a previous job was coming out, and he stopped to say hi. Now Shad was one of those guys that always had his energy levels at 11. And before I could even warn him not to say anything in front of Bill, he'd laid out the entire scene of Yoda and Dooku going at it in their lightsaber duel. Oh man, I can still see Bill, hands over his ears, eyes clenched shut, mumbling no, 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 no to himself while I tried to corral Shad in and shoo him away. And to Shad's credit, he didn't mean to spoil anything major. He certainly didn't do anything out of spite. He was just excited about Star Wars. To be honest, the scene I read in the book and Shad's description of the duel paled in comparison to what we actually saw. Uh, I hope that was some consolation for my buddy Bill. I personally didn't feel that it was spoiled, but I know he was crushed by it. Number four, Han Solo's death at the hands of Kylo Ren. Now, before seeing The Force Awakens, i had heard tons of rumors that Han was going to die in this movie. I suck at staying away from these things, but going into the movie, I had no clear concept of what I was going to see. As the scene unfolded, I could see it coming, but it wasn't as suspenseful as I thought it should be. I felt like Kylo was telegraphing his punches, so to speak. And I feel like Han's death was much more of a gut punch to me and the fans than it was to the other characters in the movie. Chewie reacted, obviously, but I don't think enough emphasis was put on Chewie's loss of a lifelong friend. Actually, we get more of a reaction from Chewie when Leia dies, and that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. But we can just stack that on top of the mountain of things that I don't understand about the sequel trilogy. Moving on, number three, Darth Maul showing up at the end of Solo, a Star Wars story. Solo suffers a lot of crap from the masses, and I think at least some of that is unfair. It fell victim to Star Wars fatigue because we were getting a Star Wars movie every year with The Force Awakens, Rogue One, The Last Jedi, and then Solo. Also, The Last Jedi split Star Wars fandom in half. People were so pissed off about The Last Jedi that they were in no hurry to get back into theaters to see more Star Wars. They were outraged. So, obviously, Solo suffered. I can go on about that, but we're here for a different discussion today. I was pretty happy overall with what took place in Solo. There were a ton of Easter eggs in that movie, and with all the talk of the big gangster on Tatooine that was putting together a crew, I fully expected to see Jabba at the end of the movie maybe like an after-credits scene with Han and Chewie standing in front of Jabba on his throne, basically in a job interview situation. So I, yeah, I was expecting some sort of a big reveal. I did not expect Darth Maul. I knew Maul was still around. i had seen the Clone Wars and followed his story post-Phantom Menace. But seeing him here was so shocking that my jaw was on the floor. It gave me hope that we would see even more of Maul in live action in the follow-up to Solo, Solo 2, Electric Boogaloo. No, 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 that's not a thing. But a sequel was being talked about. Until the movie bombed. Solo was the first Star Wars movie not to hit. It didn't actually make money. And any thought of a sequel was abandoned. Now, Hopefully we get some kind of follow-up. I'm looking at you, Disney+. Plus. But back to the spoiler of Maul. For the surface-level fans, I imagine this reveal was nothing short of confusing. If you didn't watch The Clone Wars the last time you saw Maul was when his two halves were tumbling down the reactor shaft after Obi-Wan cut him down at the end of Phantom Menace. I can see how that would have you second-guessing the timeline, and maybe Ron Howard's sanity. And it's funny to know that up until the very end of production, the creative team had no idea who it was they were going to use in that big reveal scene. Personally, I think they made the right choice with Maul. I, for one, was happy to see him, and I'd be even happier to see more of him. And this young Han and Chewie. Hashtag make Solo 2 happen. Spoilerific moment number two, Baby Yoda. When Disney announced their streaming service, their big marketing campaign included a major Star Wars event series, The Mandalorian. I decided two things in that moment. One, I was absolutely going to subscribe to this streaming service. And two, I wanted to take the approach that my buddy Bill took during the prequel era. I wanted to go into it knowing absolutely nothing. Now, did I mention that I have zero self-control? You can imagine, as soon as the trailer for The Mandalorian was was released, I must have watched it 60 times. I did manage to stay away from many online articles, however, so it wasn't a total loss. I have to give everyone behind the scenes on The Mandalorian credit here. The big reveal at the end of Episode 1 where Mando finds sweet, sweet Baby Yoda was nothing short of breathtaking. And it was a spoiler, maybe the only spoiler in Star Wars that I believe was protected until the actual moment it was meant to be revealed. They went to great lengths to protect this detail, and it paid off big time for the fans. Even though it was potentially damaging in a sense to those that depended on licensing and sales of goods in Star Wars. Filoni and Favreau played Baby Yoda so close to the vest that toy makers weren't able to plan ahead and have toys ready for release. Collectors had no outlet to pick up a Baby Yoda toy, and honestly... Screw the collectors, myself included. Kids couldn't get a baby Yoda for Christmas. That's a big miss. All to protect a spoilable moment. Good job, guys. That's awesome. Before I get to my number one pick, I want to go over some honorable mentions. Spoilerific moments that didn't quite make the top five, but were still pretty awesome. From Empire Strikes Back, Yoda is Yoda. Meeting Yoda for the first time on Dagobah, it was a shock as a kid that the playful yet cranky little lizard person that was quickly becoming a pain in Luke's ass was actually the Jedi Master that he was sent to find. Kenner went to great lengths to protect Yoda's appearance, blacking out his figure on the card back of their first release of Figures for Empire. Something they also did for the Ewoks in Return of the Jedi, so that the people buying toys didn't realize, oh, there's teddy bears in this movie. Speaking of Jedi, a couple of potential... Spoilers for that film were Jabba's appearance. As a kid, I had no idea what to expect, and I couldn't have imagined even anything close to what I saw. And the fact that Luke and Leia were siblings. To be honest, I wasn't blown away by that reveal. It was just okay. In the prequel trilogy, Qui-Gon's death was spoiled when they released the soundtrack ahead of the movie release. If you read the original track listing, track 15 is titled Qui-Gon's Noble End. Well, damn. But if you remember, the book was released before the soundtrack, so I already knew what was coming. For the Revenge of the Sith, the big moment was less of a plot point spoiler and more of a detail spoiler, and that's Anakin's immolation. His ultimate destruction as a human and what necessitates the suit of Darth Vader? Now, Star Wars lore had prepared us for this in many ways, but the actual payoff was something to behold. I have a lot of issues with the prequel trilogy, but the moment where Obi-Wan lops off Anakin's limbs and lets him tumble down the hill into the lava field where he bursts into a seething ball of flaming rage was a thing of nightmares. I actually didn't let my kids watch Revenge of the Sith right away for fear that it would kind of scare them. That's powerful stuff. That's enough honorable mentions. Now, on to the number one spoilerific moment in all of Star Wars. I don't think anyone is going to be shocked here, but my pick is... Darth Vader's admission to Luke that he is indeed Luke's father. Back then, spoilers weren't a thing. At least I can't think of a single instance where a piece of information from a movie had so much power as to ruin a moviegoer's experience if it was released to them. Which is exactly what happened to me. This is the story I've been meaning to tell you all. My parents knew I was nuts about Star Wars, and when The Empire Strikes Back came out, of course they were going to take me to see it, but it had to fit into their schedule. As a parent myself, I get that now. Life is hectic, and back then we didn't have a lot of money, so a trip to the movies with all of us kids was an expense they had to plan out. Plus, you couldn't buy tickets online ahead of time, and select your seat like you can now. This was before electricity, remember? I'm that old. But seriously, when Empire came out, it was nothing to drive past a theater and see a line wrapping around the building and down the damn street with people waiting for their chance to see the next installment of Star Wars. As a parent of six kids, it's totally understandable that they didn't want to have to stand for hours in the weather, listening to their kids fight about stupid shit. We were always fighting about stupid shit with a million and a half strangers. I really can't blame them. And if I'm being honest, as desperate as I was to see the movie, I knew we would go as soon as we could, and I was not pressed about it. My oldest sister, Kathy, had just started dating a guy named Paul, and they went to see Empire one night before I could get to see it. I didn't even care about that. I don't even think I knew when she left the house that night that that's what she was doing. It just didn't register. The next morning, she told us that that's where they went. They went and saw Empire Strikes Back. And I was excited for her. I can remember now it was me and my mom in the room, and she started to tell us what she had experienced. I can very clearly remember to this day how she tried to describe the Battle of Hoth, Cloud City. Uh, she didn't tell us about Yoda, but she did tell us about the asteroid field chase. And I was on Cloud 9 trying to imagine what all this meant and how it must have looked. And then she said something that changed the mood in the room. She said... And Darth Vader and Luke get into a lightsaber fight, and he cuts off Luke's hand, and Darth Vader is Luke's father. My mom was livid. She was so upset that my sister just dropped this spoiler bombshell on me. And my mom was one of those people that when she gets mad, no matter who or what she's mad about, you automatically think she's mad at you. So you just duck down and try to be as small as possible until it blows over. Mom yelled at Kathy for her spoiler transgression, and Kathy's punishment was that she had to take me to see Empire Strikes Back that weekend. If I'm being honest, I didn't really care about her spoiling the big reveal. It didn't change anything for me. Her narration of events couldn't possibly hold a candle to what I would see on screen, and the magic of Empire was definitely intact when I did finally see it. Empire Strikes Back, at least in my mind, was the genesis of spoiler culture, and I don't think we really knew what to make of it or how to handle it back then. And I think we went a long time before spoilers were a mainstream situation again. M. Night Shyamalan's The Sixth Sense might have been the next major motion picture that caused any kind of uproar when it came to spoiling plot points. But now it's so commonplace in movies that Marvel launches big campaigns around not spoiling their stuff. Sadly, there are some people out there that revel in being the first to drop a spoiler, and that's just shitty. Don't be that person. That's not reporting the news. That's being an assbag. Now, I don't think Kathy was being an assbag when she, quote unquote, ruined Empire for me any more than I think Shad was being an ass bag when he, quote unquote, ruined Attack of the Clones for my buddy Bill. They were just excited and wanted to share their experience. We just have to be careful not to overshare. I mean, TMI is still a thing. TMI, too much information. Uh, it's just easier to say TMI. I used to say don't go there, but that's lame. So there you go. That's my top five spoilery bits from the Star Wars saga. Hopefully enjoyed it. And if your list differs from mine in any way, I'd love to hear from you. You can reach me on social media at The Force, of course, on Facebook and Instagram, or email the show directly at TheForceOfCourse77 at gmail.com. If you like what you hear, please do me one favor and hit me with a five-star review. It doesn't cost a dime and it won't hurt a bit. That actually helps others find the show. Also, if you have a Star Wars fan in your life, please mention the show to them. Anyway, that's the show for today. I hope you had fun. Until next time, this has been The Force, of course, and as always, play with your toys.